Welcome to God's Table Talk, where real-life stories and testimonies of faith are brought to the table. I'm your host, Paul Eck. On this episode, my guest is Don Cheryl. Okay, so I want to start at the beginning because you got experience or got a taste of Jesus from a very early age, Don. Tell us about your grandma and how that all played out. Well, I was born in St. Louis, Missouri on the south side, and um, when I came home from the hospital, I actually came home to my grandmother's house. Um, I was the second child. Uh, I had a brother that's five years older than me, and um, he always lived with my grandma, Um, But even after my mom moved out, my grandma would babysit me. Um, I spent just a lot of time with her. And uh, it took me a long time to realize she was my safe place. Um, I never wanted to leave her. I mean, it was to the point where if she would braid my hair, I didn't want it unbraided. If she tied my shoes, I did not want my shoes untied. And really, it just occurred to me um, after I found Jesus on my own that it was Jesus and her that attracted me and and drew me to her as much as you can love a person. So one of the unique things, I think, about your grandma was the fact that she was a minister. And that's, you're talking back in the 60s and 70s, a female minister, pretty unusual. So what was there struggles that you, as you look back at her life, can you see how she used or how she was used by God? Oh, absolutely. I, I think if you look in the churches nowadays, you'll still see a lot more women than what there is men. I think for men to think about the being the bride of Christ, it's just because of our culture. It's a lot different. Um, I think that um, I've seen people treat her very badly. Um, I've seen people tell her that, you know, it... It wasn't a thing in the Bible. In fact, one of my Bibles that she gave me back in 1972, she went through and marked every scripture where God had used women and how he had came after arising again from the grave, and he told her to go and tell my disciples and Peter. So she just drew out all of those things for me, and um, I don't think it's still always accepted, but her gift was in love. And she could love, and she could forgive, and I would just watch her and think, why are you apologizing to them when you didn't do anything wrong? But that's who she was. That was her humility, and that was her, her love. I mean, she just always seen the best in people, and it was, again, it was just that love. She could make you feel like you were the only person in the room. So she just had an amazing gift of God's love, and um, she was, yeah, a lot of, she had a lot of hard times. Is there a lot of her in you now? Oh, absolutely. Um, we would, <laughs> we would as a child, um, especially when my mean brother finally went to school, I was so glad because I got her all to myself. <laughs> and we would sing into hairbrushes, bye-bye, Miss American Pie, and we'd dance, and um, we would exercise, and then we would have quiet time of prayer and I had seen her so much on her knees, and I would be right there by her side. And if she prayed for two hours, I was there with her. She prayed for three hours. I was there with her. I didn't leave her side. Um, I always wanted to be like her. As you look at, because I know one of the things that you're very dedicated to is the family and raising kids up in the church and raising kids up as believers. 
did you understand when you were at that young age exactly what she was doing or were you doing it because it was grandma? I had an idea because I had seen a lot of things. She took me to a lot of tent revivals. Um, I, I seen things that I, I can't deny. Um, I seen great miracles, whether they were healing, whether it was casting out of demons. Um, you just, you can't make that stuff up. Um, I'm not talking about people making things happen. I'm talking about the power of God and it being so thick that um, you could cut it with a knife and it could just overtake the place. Now, people might look and say, well, boy, she had a, such a powerful presence with her grandma. Her grandma was such a powerful presence in her life that her adult life must have been just a breeze. But that was actually not the case, was it? On mine or on your On your side. Um, no, no, anything but... But and and I didn't ever call myself a warrior until I moved to Farmington, Missouri. <laughs> it's been almost five years, and probably about four years ago, um, I was able to say those words. I was I was I was born to be a warrior, and and that's who I am in Christ. I am a warrior. I'm a wall watcher. Um, I look for people, and listen to people. And if I'm listening to someone and they go off of the word of God and they get outside of what that is. Um, I have a strike policy that strike three, you're done. And so it's, it's about truth and the word is truth. And um, yeah, it's just, it's what the word is. Now you came to a very low point, I guess you would say back when you and your husband, Jason were, almost getting ready. Well, you were going to get divorced. Yes. He served papers to you. Yes. Tell, tell us a little bit about what happened there and exactly, you made it, you did a turn that kind of is unusual in the fact that you turned to God mm -hmm. when all this was going on and what, what exactly happened? Well, um, I was very liberal from the time I was, say, 14. Um, I started being sexually active. My grandma asked me. I never lied to her, yes. But she didn't speak a truth into my life. And this is the difference between her and me. I've always had a big voice. It's what saved my life, probably from many predators. And they usually don't pick on children that have a loud voice and a strong personality. So I always had that because my grandma made sure that she worked those gifts in me, okay? Um, she wasn't a truth speaker. She would preach, but she never really spoke truth into her children. I tell my children, I love you, but I will not love you off a cliff. So from the time I was 14, I was living on my own with who was going to be my first husband. And we didn't get married until I was 17, had our first baby. I was almost 19, had five years later another baby. And by that time, I was pretty wild. I'd been working in the bars in Illinois. And uh, because I didn't want to be married no more, and he always held money over my head. That's why um, Beauty for Treasures ministries and things like that are deep in my heart. Because most of the women that are in any kind of exotic dance or prostitution or whatever they're in, it's usually not because that's what they want to do. It's what they have to do because they feel that's all they can do because it's usually someone holding uh, a carrot out. So, um, And I think a lot of times, too, as women... Um, I was never taught the value of my body because my grandmother never knew the value of her body. So she couldn't teach me something that she hadn't been taught. So it went from my grandma to my mom and then to me. So I thought 
it was a good thing um, being in that business. But that's whenever I really started drinking because without drinking, I couldn't do what I needed to do. So that was a big brouhaha, and that's actually the first time I've ever said that out loud. Um, I was pro-choice before I was pro-life because I had been lied to and set up on a low dose of birth control and told, you know, that that was a glob of flesh. It was a, it wasn't it was not a life. So between exotic dancing, abortion, um, I started drinking more and more and more, and um, I ended up finally getting a divorce. And I think Mitchell, that is now 35, he was one when I met my now husband, Jason. And um, Jason was a pothead, so he was on one side of the chart, and I was on the alcohol side, which pretty combative. Um, so it was in 1997 that we had a really bad fight. I was drunk. Um, he was just out of control. And um, it, was, it, was, it was a bad domestic violence situation. Um, and, and I could hit just as hard as he could, so I'm not putting this all off on him. But anyway, so we were separated for a few months, and I knew where he was because he was out doing drugs with one of his uncles, and our daughter at the time, she was seven, and I just remember feeling helpless. I didn't know. I, I had to get up and smile every morning and get these three kids ready for school and, and try to do my best, as broken as I was, and uh, I had tried to quit drinking several other times. And it just it, it never it just never lasted very long. So in 1997, Jason's gone. I don't know how I'm gonna pay the mortgage. I don't know how I'm gonna put food on the table. We live way out in the middle of nowhere. I don't even I didn't even have I think I had a DWI, so I didn't even have a driver's license. I was really messed up. Um, but anyway, I remember I was desperate, and I went and I opened up a phone book to churches, and the first church I seen was an Assembly of God church. And I called that number, and I don't even know who answered, but I was like, I need to know the time of your services. And for about the next three or four months, I was there every time the doors were open, and I started finding healing, and I started bringing back into my remembrance things that I had heard from my grandma when I was little. And I started applying those biblical principles then to my life, and I ran across Adrian Rogers with Love Worth Finding, and he's the one that truly gave me the love for the word. And once I started getting into my word, and I started applying that word to my life, and I started absorbing on all of these scriptures on marriage, anything I could find on marriage, one of my girlfriends went to a secondhand store and bought me a book, and it, one, of the, one of the chapters was how to save a marriage, how one person can save a marriage. And so I started learning to stand in the gap, and I started fighting for my marriage. And I was like, Satan, you cannot have my marriage. I don't want to be married again. If I would have known what I'd known back with my first marriage, and I could have fought, but I didn't know because I didn't know what the weapons of my warfare was at that time. So anyway, um, Jason served me with divorce papers about 7 o'clock one morning. God had woke me up about 6, and I was sitting on the couch reading out of the book of Psalms because that's where I was. I was a broken person, and that just, so was David. 
And uh, anyway, the sheriff was really kind of shocked, <laughs> like how I knew this was going to happen. And so afterwards, um, I got the kids on the bus, and I just went and laid on my bed, and I was crying, and God told me. And I don't mean God spoke audibly to me, but he told me that I would burn those papers, that they would be burnt. Because I was like, how long, God? And he said, not much longer. Just keep fighting. And so that's where I really started learning to fight for my family. Is that also where you learned to, is that maybe the, I'm sure there were other instances, but was that an instance you look at is when you really stepped, you really looked at God as he's, I can, he's, he's I'm going to be faithful to him as well because he's going to be true to his word. It was a turning point. It was definitely a turning point because there were so many miracles that he showed me. I call them golden nuggets, and I, I love <laughs> golden nuggets. I have golden nuggets. I have bookmarks. Um, he, he just, the way that he gives me things, there's just no denying because it lines up with his word that it's truth. So after he, Jason has served you the papers, you just kept going to church. Yes, with the kids. With the kids. Mm-hmm. When did Jason, as we'll, we'll put it this way, when did Jason come around? Mm. <laughs> Jason was a mess. I was a mess. I was probably a bigger mess than him, but I was um, one, I was always at the altar. I was always at the altar because that's where God brought healing to me because I had so much brokenness. I had so much brokenness from my mom being a sex addict and, and her going from man to man and place to place and person to person and school to school. In my life, I'd come home and she'd moved. She did that to me three times, and that's why when I was 14, she finally had abandoned me for the last time, and we just kept the apartment, me and my first husband. And um, what was your question again? Well, when did Jason come around? Well, I was in <laughs> church. And um, had a lot of good people praying for me. And God just, again, put in my heart that one of these days I would hear his keys rattling because he always wears his keys on a clip on the side of his pants. And that I would hear those, I could hear those keys rattling. And God told me that he would be joining me. Now, had he moved back in with you at that by that time when you were going to church, and he and he came into church, or was he? Were you guys living apart still at that time? We did get back together, and he started going to church with us. Yes, because we both knew. My grandma married us, so here's the thing: she always told us, "If you guys stick with God, your marriage will work, and if you do not stick with God, it will not work." And we really put that one to the test. Obviously. And it's still the test of today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, then take us through how how difficult was it to you were you were literally seemingly you know months away from being divorced, mm -hmm. and now you're trying to build back this marriage. Take us through that. How what were some of the things that you did to mm. get to where you could trust each other and love each other? Well, um, it took a lot of counseling. We've had a lot of really great people speak into our lives. And Jason always says, if we ever see another marriage counselor, we could probably be one. Um, but someone told us one time, it's, it's like a triangle. And if he's on his side looking up and I'm on my side looking up and that's to God, then we can come together. And that's really what we found because I can't fix him and he can't fix me. And there's this lie that people tell you that absence makes the heart grow fine, and that is nothing short of a lie from Satan. It's just like people lie and say that you can't talk about uh, religion or politics. That's a lie because Satan don't want the truth told in love. 
but um, we it, it took us a long time. It, it took us many, many counselors. And here was one of my points before Jason came home. I found finally Christian music. One of my very first songs that God gave me, because he also speaks to me through song, was Kathy Tricoli, mm -hmm. That He Will Make a Way. And me and the kids would march around, just like I did with my grandma, with our hairbrushes as mics, and sing <laughs> through the house, and jump on the beds, and just try to make lighter of the situation, because they knew I was... I was hurting, I was dying, I was trying to quit drinking, I was trying to do all these things still on my own and still begging God to, you know, to save my marriage. Um, but I remember one day, um, I had my face actually to the floor in prayer and I was praying, God, you see what he's doing. <laughs> you see what he's doing, God, make it stop. And God said, no, I want you to look at you. And I said, I don't want to look at me. And he showed me myself that day. I was bossy. I was rude. I would cut him down. Um, the way I talked to him was not edifying at all. Um, I did not look at him um, as a leader. And I have this really big, strong personality. Don't ever be deceived. And Jason's very quiet. But that don't ever think that that quiet is weakness because it's not, okay? So through what we've learned is he needs to speak more and I need to speak less. That's why God gave me two ears and one mouth. <laughs> but when God started showing me me and what a horrible, and I do mean a horrible wife I was, it broke my heart. So I continued to dig through those scriptures and dig through those scriptures and, and find out, God, what is it that you want me to be? What do you want me to look like? How do I love somebody who is so, has, has so hurt me and has deceived me? And I mean, the same back to him, okay? Because we didn't know what faithfulness was. We were both raised in chaos. So when you add chaos and chaos, what do you get? Boom. I mean, it was an explosion, our, our poor children. And this is why they believe in Jesus, though, is because they've seen the difference with God and without God. They watched our lives as God transformed us. And it, again, it was years. Um, but when God really started showing me who I was, oh, boy, that, that was probably one of the very roughest patches of my life, seriously, and, and, and really trying to absorb just how ugly I was. And how manipulating and just not a good person. So, yeah, he started showing me what it looked like to be a wife. And I went and met Jason one day down in Potosi. And uh, probably the best compliment I've ever had in my whole entire life was he told me he seen Jesus in me that day. And that had been those months of preparation that the Lord had set me aside and, and taught me what the word says about being a wife and, and what that looks like. And that's really when this family thing really started taking root in my, in my heart. And it, it sounds like you have broken the chain, so to speak, because your kids mm -hmm. are all believers. And it's amazing. <laughs> what we don't overcome, we hand to our children. And I don't care who you are. It's just it's an absolute truth. If, if you're going to drink and you're going to do everything you're big enough to do, then you're going to hand those things. They're called generational curses. And I know a lot of people don't believe in it. I know a lot of people out there don't believe in spiritual warfare. I'm telling you, you're being lied to um, because it's real. It's, it's very real. Satan is real. And 
you know, people that choose not to believe, you're already, you've made your choice. And I think that's been one of the battles. Anybody that knows me knows my life is not easy, but the buck stops here. And I'm standing in the gap for my family. I've stood in the gap for my boys, one of them when he is in war, one that's been a police officer for over a decade now. Um, my daughter knows the value of her body. I mean, that's a first-generation thing. I always say at work, they're first-generation, not nuts. Um, they're just good people, and not because they're good in themselves, but they know, again, what God has done in our marriage, and we were a living testimony unto them, and we never lied to them about anything. Um, I think the working in Illinois thing will be a shock probably to my kids. Maybe the abortion thing might be a shock to my kids. But these are just things that God's been telling me he's going to peel back because it's an onion. If you just take it all off at one time, it's, it's really hard. So it's been almost 60 years of peeling back this onion. And, <laughs> and, and, but I can't reach people if I, if I don't know what they're going through and I don't have an understanding. People outside the church don't want our church lingo. They want the love and the compassion and, and, and sooner or later, if we love them and we build a bridge to them, then we can actually speak truth into their lives. And that's probably where I, why I work where I work at now. Let's talk about that. What do you do for work? I work for the Pregnancy Resource Center in Park Hills. And um, I had went to the Church of the Nazarenes for a while and ran into somebody that took me to a banquet there. And this lady was speaking about Planned Parenthood and how they set up young ladies and they're priming them for abortion by giving them low-dose birth control that they have to take every day at the same time. Most young ladies, when they're 14, 12, whatever it is, they have no clue that if you take antibiotics or you don't take it at the right time that this isn't going to work. So they end up pregnant. And once they get one, usually they're back for three and four times of an abortion. That's how Planned Parenthood works. So um, I had been pro-life also, since about 1997, uh, we switched churches and we started going to a, a different church. And that's where I met my pastor, Ed Sherrill, that started speaking family stuff to our lives. How to be a dad, how to be a servant, how to be a wife, how to be a just everything that was practical about family. And we were starving, so we were just gobbling this up because we'd never seen it before. It was amazing because, like, these principles, they were working. And so, anyway, um, the family part has always been very important to me and, and to sow into young people's lives that they don't have to go through the destruction that I've went through, okay? Um, so I really liked the speaker, and I had been actually volunteering for hospice and just praying with people that didn't have anyone there when they died that I could... Just be there with them. No one needs to die alone. So I filled out this application, and it was a rough application because it I'd never really written down, like, my statement of faith that it asked for and what Jesus meant to me and how he had changed my life and um, the reason why I would want to be a part of a ministry like this. And I had never even heard of the PRCs before. I had no idea. There's about 2,000 of them throughout the United States. So I had been in Farmington for almost two years by this time, and I was just like, God, what, what am I supposed to be doing? I've got all of these things inside my head. I've been through all of these things through my life. I mean, where do you want me to be? 
So I struggled sitting right here that day filling out that application. It was a nice day. I ended up going outside, and I was like, you know, God, where are you in all of this? And again, he spoke to me, and he told me, I'm already at the end of your life, Dawn. You cannot even understand it. But what you can understand is I give you glimpse here and there to show you that you're on the right path. And that was it. Well, that day, me and my friend Andrea, we drove out to do Mother's Day makeovers out in Perryville. And we were going along Highway 32, and I'm telling Andrea about what happened. And God quickens to my mind because there's a big, white, 18-wheeler box truck about a mile in front of us. So, But when we're going around those curves and we're going down in those valleys and we're coming back up, can't see it. But we get up to those high parts, and we could see way up there was that box truck. And he said, this is exactly how I'm showing you. That truck is how I show you me and that you're on the right path. So it's those ways like that that he speaks to me. Um, so it was, it was a, a, a pretty awesome day. Anytime that God does things like that for me, um, I call them, again, my golden nuggets. So I held on to that, and weeks went by, and I finally got the standard letter back, you know, thank you for wanting to volunteer. And then a couple weeks later, I got a call from Linda. She's the executive director assistant at the PRC. And she asked if I'd like to come in for an interview for the volunteer positions. And I said, yes, I would love that. So I went in there the next Thursday, and I got in there, and I started filling out the paperwork. And she said, one through four in the confidentiality report, and I'll be right back. And I could see her over there going through my file, because they'd already done my background check and stuff. She comes back with, who's now my boss, Becky, another golden nugget in my life. And um, they're both standing there looking at me with tears in their eyes. I was like, okay, God, okay, Holy Spirit, I know. And they, tears just started welling up my eyes, and they said, we have a position open for a director of client services. We were wondering if you might be interested. We feel led to ask you. And I was like, absolutely. I don't even know what that means, but absolutely. <laughs> so we did a tour because our clinic is separate, and uh, – I oversee all of the curriculum for the 12 parenting classes. We do everything from pregnancy and birth all the way to toddlers. And um, so we have 12 classes on Monday, pre-COVID. And we also provide child care. And we just teach all. We've saved, had three babies saved because of CPR courses that we teach and car seat safety. And um, it's really just a resource to always help families. I think we're a about 75 families that we're serving right now. And we help with diapers and wipes. We earn to learn. We have Bible studies that they earn points on. So we are preaching Jesus. Um, and that's what God has me doing now, is speaking into young families. And I actually do the DFS classes where people have lost their children. I teach those myself personally because I know what it's like to be on that path of addiction and, and trying to raise children. Um, so it's just God opening those doors. And after that day and that tour, um, and, and getting an application, I couldn't even push the starter on my car. I mean, I, I couldn't start it because I was so overwhelmed by God that again, the God of the universe, <laughs> the one who set the sky and, you know, everything in, in motion had chosen me for that place in such a time as that. So it's just been an awesome experience, and I think in my first year we had almost 50 salvations there, and people coming to Christ, and, and young ladies and families, why do you love me? Because Jesus loves you, and just sowing into them 
to to be able to speak truth into their lives because you have to build a bridge. And once you build the bridge, then they know you love them and then you can speak truth into their lives and you can make some suggestions and, and help them along the way and share your testimony of where you've been. So do you believe that God allowed all the all the things you went through from your grandma at an early age and all the you know the promiscuity and the drinking and all this and all the other things to get you to the point you're at now? Even though you weren't saved, let's say, for, for, for a lot of those years? God has used every single thing I've been through in my whole entire life. He has prepared me for where I'm at at such a time as this. Yes, all of the hurt, all of the pain, all of the abandonment, all of the addictions, all of the crazy relationships. Um, he led me through so that I could be effective to be able to help other hurting families because families are just being torn apart out there right now. But that's Satan's plan. If he gets the family, I mean, you hear more now about tearing down the nuclear family and anti-family than you hear anything else. And that's why churches got to get caught up. When you come from dysfunction, I'm seeing third generation that's never had a Bible. I'm seeing third generation that they've not finished school. I've, I've seen third generation heroin addicts. I'm seeing third generation poverty. I mean, I'm just seeing third generation and we're failing. And people just like Jason and I, if you teach them something that is practical, they are going to keep coming back because most mothers want to know how to be a good mother. Most men want to know how to be a man. And it's, it's not what the world says. We're, you're not Homer Simpsons. That is a lie from the devil. But that's who men are being, we can do this without you. No, you can't because statistics show. They show that, that, that children that are raised without a father, they have so many things stacked against them. So it's just much better to people to teach people. We, we need to get the word out and see what the Bible says about men and women, marriage, in that relationship, and then we need to talk about how we raise our children. You know, I always told my children, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. That is an absolute truth. How did I know these things? I didn't know these things. I quit school in seventh grade. I didn't even have a seventh grade education, but I knew my children were going to get an education. I knew I was going to stand in the gap. I knew that they were going to be a part of a team so that they could learn to be a team player and, and to drive my kids when they were 15 years old to work and it cost me more to take them there, but it taught them a work ethic. So it's just uh, family. It's, it's, that's, I, I never had it. I never had it. And it's something that I love. That's my heart. And uh, that's what I fight for every single day. So if a person has, as you've, as you've called it, generational curses, mm -hmm. You can break those just as simply as you can continue them, correct? Absolutely. If you get into the Word of God and you seek God in those things, and I had my best friend always tell me, Don, I cannot believe the things that you tell your children. Well, there's the mud hole. If you step in it, chances are you're going to break your ankle, okay? Because I've been there. And a lot of times I've told my, my adult children will testify to this, that I can't tell you how to do it right, but I can tell you how to do it wrong, Okay. I can tell you how to do it wrong. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's important. You can overcome 
the Bible says binding generational curses back to the third and the fourth generations. So in my family, on all four sides, with my biological father and my mother, all, all of my grandfathers were alcoholics. I was an alcoholic. My first husband was an alcoholic. My boys have a 100% chance to be an alcoholic. Okay? I mean, it's just, it's just that easy. And people can say that's not true, but there's enough science out there to even show that if you take a, 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 a man that is an alcoholic and you take a seven-year-old son, those brain scans are going to be the same because it's already showing up there. And you think about when we go into a medical and, and we fill out this information about whether our mother or grandmothers or aunts have had breast cancer or uh, diabetes or heart problems. Why are they asking those questions? Because they're generational. But there's a social part of that as well. Promiscuity, abortions, poverty, education, all of these things. So that's something I couldn't do. I couldn't ask my children to finish school and to make something of their lives. So when Mandy was, they were two, two, seven, and 12, I went and got my GED. I'd always was told that I was stupid and ugly. I'd never make anything of myself. And I passed my GED with like flying colors. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm not dumb. I didn't know that because I'd always been told I was dumb. Because children believe what they're told. And if they're not taken care of, they, they really get that train of thought. So I got a college degree. Not, in fact, I didn't get one. I got two and made the dean's list because I wanted my kids to have an education. And I can't tell my kids to do something I'm not willing to do myself because that's hypocritical. So I will never ask my children to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself. So it's, just, it's, it's important that we stand in the gap. The Bible talks about that, that we plead the blood of Jesus. I mean, it's, I, I led my... 13-year-old grandson two years ago to the Lord. What a great privilege, just like my grandma did with me. I mean, the blessings are much greater. Don't, I don't ever want to give Satan uh, any praise, but if you don't acknowledge what he's capable of doing, he will eat your lunch. Um, you, you, you can't be asleep because he's seeking whom he may devour, and he may not devour me and my children and, and my marriage and my grandchildren and my friends and my family. I'm, I'm going to stand, and I'm going to continue to fight. That's why he gave us the armor, is to fight. So what next for you now? I don't know. Um, I'm enjoying being a grandma of 10, <laughs> and uh, all of my kids are in church. And, and not because anybody makes them. It's, it's because, again, they have seen the difference with mine and Jason's relationship and, and just how God has changed our life. I mean, I, I tried for years to stop drinking on my own. I went from rehab to rehab to rehab, and it, it never worked. It never took because I was a spiritually broken person. And there's that void in our lives that only God can fill and that only God can do those things. And, and just the way that he led me and he guided me and, and taught me how to serve my husband. Man, that has been something. My grandma, being a preacher, she, she always told me, you don't have to listen to men. Well, she told me that because she didn't want me to be like my mother mm. and go from man to man and listen to what all they said. And, you know, and, and now, even though I have the, the stronger personality, Jason is the leader of our home. And when Jason says, no, that's it. It's done. It's over. So... And to serve him. And I think that's the key to marriage is serving each other well. If you ever quit serving each other, it's over. 
I mean, because we said about that absence makes a heart grow fond. That's a lie. That's a lie. That means you're getting off on your own path and you're going in your separate directions. So, and that's something that I speak that truth into my children's lives. Serve each other well. So. So I'm, I'm going to make a, a guess on this, but I'm guessing that if no matter what God asks you to do, you're going to do it. Absolutely. <laughs> Don't send me to Annapolis, Lord. <laughs> yes. I, I, my, my prayer is with all the sex trafficking that's going on throughout the world, that is where my heart is. That's, I don't know if that door is ever going to open, but if I could do anything in the whole wide world, it would be pulling those kids out, using my criminal background, using my investigative background, uh, rescuing them from bad places, setting up stings, whatever that looks like. I don't know. I support ministries that do it, but if I could do anything in the world, that's what I would love to do and to keep bringing... Uh, just keep bringing it to the forefront. You know, you can share the stupidest stuff on Facebook and people like it and laugh at it, but you share something about the terrible things that are happening to our children and the numbers of our children that are going missing. And it's like people don't want to look at that. And I, I get it. It's hard and it's ugly. But as Christians, we've been called to do hard stuff. And we've been called to bring light into darkness. And... That's where, again, we just need to mount up and, you know, just get in the fight. There's a battle going on, and it's me and my four and no more is not going to do it anymore. So I want one day to stand before him and him say, you've done a great job, my good and my faithful servant, and that's what I long to hear. And it's not about me, it's about him, because I can't change people's lives. He can use me in people's lives, but I can't change people's lives. And it's just like the Christian lingo. I, I can't stand the Christian lingo. I don't like it. My boss always says I'm much nicer to the sinners than I am to the saints. Well, I don't have expectations out of them, okay? But I think the church needs to go get its hands dirty because it's dirty out there. It's gross. When we're dealing with abortions and we're dealing with children that are being sexually abused and you don't have to travel outside the county where we are, it's everywhere. Um, we have so many drug moms and these People are targeting them, for not for them, but for their kids. And it goes on right underneath our eyes, and we just pretend like we don't see that. You're going to be held accountable for that. Ignorance is not bliss. It's a hard truth, and everybody needs to keep their eyes open. And, and it, save the children. Just save the children. And, and that's the strong family unit. They're not targeting strong family units. They're, they're targeting the ones that they're broken down. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. Mark 16, 15 through 18. 
Thanks to Don for joining us on this episode of God's Table Talk. I hope you enjoyed the visit. Don't forget, you can subscribe to God's Table Talk on Apple, Spotify, and Anchor, and you can also see the interview on YouTube. Join us again next time for another episode of God's Table Talk. I'm Paul Eck. Be blessed, but more importantly, be a blessing.